Good morning. Hope that we're all in a, a place uh, that we feel uh, the comfort of the Lord this morning. Uh, I'm going to do my best to do no harm. I feel like that's a lot of times uh, when I'm up here to try at least, at the very least, not to do any harm. And uh, when you come to uh, these subjects, when we look at, we'll be in Romans 8 to begin, and uh, we'll make our way over to the Gospels, Matthew and, and Luke, towards the end of those books. As we wrap up our discussions of the victory appearances of Jesus um, post-resurrection. And uh, it's just a blessing to be here with you. I, I'm, I feel a lot of the love here um, and not so much of the expectations. And so I appreciate that. <laughs> I know a lot of uh, my brothers who are around the world preaching may not feel the same. And you may not feel that uh, here this morning. But we want you to understand that we have all been in a place uh, where we could have been better. Uh, we could have made better decisions. Uh, we've all been in places that uh, we probably would prefer not to go back to. And so if you're in one of those circumstances, we hope that you feel like you're in the right place. And we're thankful that you made the decision to be here with us in whatever circumstance that you're in. We know that uh, depending on what Sunday it is, it can be a little more difficult to get here than others, uh, depending on what kind of week you've had. But we serve a God who knows exactly the week that you've had and uh, desires to be in that with you, uh, no matter how uh, dirty it seems or how hard it's been or difficult. He's not a God who shies away from that. And I may not have all the information uh, about what you've been through, but he certainly does. And he is honored uh, when we turn to him in the midst of whatever circumstance you're in. And so that's really how we confess him. And that's kind of go back to what we talked a little bit about last week in the power of confession. Uh, but then we'll also talk about victory over any other power and then victory over all things. So I want to encourage you this morning, wherever you're at, uh, that we serve a God who has power over all things. And a lot of times we think, and I think people look at God and go, well, if he has all the power over all things, why am I in the midst of difficulty? And we have to understand that a lot of times the way to show power is in the midst of difficulty. That uh, I have this power and authority over this to walk with you through it. There's, a, there's not a fear on his behalf. We see in Scripture that perfect love casts out fear. And so that we see this with the disciples of Jesus. It would be different if we, we looked into the Scriptures and the disciples just had it easy. They never faced any struggle. Uh, and there are people who certainly preach that gospel. Uh, but it will not be found in your Bible study and Scripture anywhere. It's the God who sees our struggle, not fearful of that struggle, and steps into that struggle with us and is going to be with us to the end. And so we'll get there a little bit this morning. I want to start with the power of confession and how it tells us in Romans 8, verse 37, that we are more than conquerors, that we have victory. Not a victory to come, although that is promised as well, but you can have victory in the midst of the chaos, whatever that is. Over the last few weeks, we've been unpacking God's victory over confusion and doubt and fear and fill in the blanks and how He shows up and that perfect love casts out those things. Uh, so it doesn't mean that we're going to be without those things. It just means that we're not alone in the midst of those things. And oftentimes, that's the real victory. That's the real victory. So we look at Romans 8, verse 15 uh, through 16, and we see uh, this confession. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. I think of Romans 8 where he tells the Israelites that they were in slavery to sin, but truth 
will set you free. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry or we confess, Abba, Father. And notice the exclamation marks there, right? I, I don't know that I can give the exclamation marks their due right here without blowing out the speakers. But it's Abba, Father. That's where we find our power, our victory, our confession. We cry out, Abba, Father. There's a reason if you turn to John 21, as we looked at last week, 15 through 17, Jesus pushes the question with Peter. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. And then there's a response. Because of that love, what? Feed my sheep. And so here's a man who has denied Jesus, right? A man who had heard Jesus himself say, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. And that is very much true. But notice that Jesus doesn't give up on him. He reappears over and over again. That's what we're seeing in this. He appears to to the disciples. And like I said last week, we give Thomas a hard time and rightfully so. But he's not the only one who doubts. He's not the only one who who may be feeling a, a shun, like they need to shun themselves. Not a shun that Jesus is giving them. But we, we put that on ourselves sometimes, right? There's no way that I can be saved from the things that I've done. And Jesus says there's victory in the things that you've done. It's about who you turn to in the midst of those emotions. Who do you turn to to guide you through those emotions? And it's Abba, Father, or in this case, of course I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Use your experiences to teach others. Anything that you've been through equips you to assist others through it. That's the one beautiful, wonderful thing, and there's a lot of beautiful, wonderful things about the body of Christ, is that when I had my cancer battle, guess what? There have been other people, people who drove me to the doctor, had had their own. And so there's that, that fellowship there. There's that confession of, I've been brought through this, and even if I'm not, there's a victory in Jesus that I look forward to. That God does, or, or Satan does not have the final say. Feed my lambs there in John chapter 21. Peter had the, uh, even in denial of Jesus, he, he bore the essence. People would look at him and how he spoke and how he carried himself. Like, oh no, you were with him. You were with him. The essence of Jesus. There's a reason why he had to deny three times. Because it was almost undeniable. You ever saw somebody that it was undeniable who their dad was? Or their mom was by looking at them, by their mannerisms. I've been there with Peter, right? The last thing I want somebody to recognize me is in this moment is a follower of Jesus because I'm not where I need to be or doing what I should be doing. It's really in those moments, if you're in that moment this morning, where you can have the greatest victory. We're going to do our song as per tradition to encourage you to recommit your life. I believe as Christians we recommit and confess when we take of the Lord's Supper, when we sing His praises, when we study God's Word, we're confessing again this risen Messiah, this Jesus that we all serve. And so if you feel the need to confess something today, guess what? You're not by yourself. We recommit ourselves every day, and certainly we come together, to the power of what Jesus has done in our life. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 Verses 14 through 16, Paul takes uh, this, this fragrance, this aroma, which would have been meaningful to Jews, right? This, the smell of the temple, the sounds of the temple, the, 
Those things would have been real to them. Think about the place that you love to be more than anything else. There's probably a smell to it, right? Some of you folks who are farmers, right? There, there may be a smell that most people are like, I don't really care for that smell. But to you, there's, there's memories there. There's, oh, I, I want to, I'd love to go back to that, or I'd love to be here or there. We have those things that have meaning to us as individuals. That's the idea of this, this essence that the Jews would have got. But Paul also puts a twist on it that's a Roman twist. And he talks about this triumphant leading. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal, or for our lesson, victorious procession like a fragrance. He's using this illustration that Jesus leads us as the conquered people, as the Roman generals would march through town and the, the slaves behind them, their conquered people would follow them in line and, and there'd be cheers and parades and oh, all this. And he's saying that's what Jesus has done for us. He's given us victory so that we can be a part of his parade. And he says, then the people that see the parade have a decision to make. Do we worship Rome and Caesar or do we fall in line? He says to some people, the parade, the procession is death, life to death. But to those of us that believe it is life to life, we follow in the procession. It's a wonderful thing to show people that even in my death and suffering and doubt and failure, add yours to the list in your mind right now, that Jesus is still victorious and triumphant in that. John tells us in 1 John chapter 1 that if we want to walk in the light as He is the light, we must confess our sins. I really believe as Christians that should be like the easiest thing for us to do. Every day I'm confronted with where I've missed the mark, whether by intention or by accident. I could always be better. I have not arrived. Right, The day I project that, please come to me and go, hey man, you're kind of giving us this vibe. And you're not there yet. I need a reminder, and it's important. So when we confess in the midst of our despair, death, confusion, fear, doubt, and failure, it shows that Jesus is victorious over any other power. We have all powers that are warring with us, right? One of the evils that we can point to is communism. And one of the reasons that communism is so evil is it promotes the commitment to state to government, even above your own family members, and certainly no room for God. And so it's really easy for us to look at that and go, yes, that's evil, and, and I certainly agree that it is. But we also must look to our own life, our own system, our own setup, even within our family, even within our minds, our priority, right? Matt Chandler, a few weeks ago, used, or months ago, used the example of buttoning up your shirt. If you get that first button wrong, Right, fellas? Right, right, everybody? Like, the rest of it's going to be messed up. And we got to be careful that our button is in the right order, right? That, that God is above all and He's over any other power. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. In this appearance, Jesus is making that statement. Obviously, it's in the book of Matthew, so this is definitely within the themes of the uh, Jewish people. Uh, as this letter is kind of directed, or this gospel is directed uh, in their direction, we see uh, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but 
some doubted. If I'm Jesus, I probably just wrap it up right there. Oh, you guys are doubting. I'm out of here. I got other people to see. I know Jesus, once again, this is what we're seeing in this story, right? That the frailties of man between the ears, right? They physically have laid hands on him, crucified him. He's allowed that to happen. But the, the frailties of man in here are not defeating Jesus' ability to overcome. So once again, right? Think about where you're at today mentally, emotionally, in your life, and realize that Jesus is calling you to victory over that It's will you take the deal or not? No pun intended. Will you take the deal or not? Here it is. It's for the taking. It is up to you completely. Justification has been made for all. But will you see him as victory over any other power? Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 34. I was kind to you guys last week. I kind of bounced and forth and organized it that way. Uh, But really, I was just being kind to me. It's selfish. Uh, But Romans 8, 31 through 34, we see this aspect of victory over all other powers. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I want you to answer that question. Who can? I, like you, have fears of other powers and things that can happen to me and happen to those that I love. I, I have a history degree, right, which is basically just learning about atrocity after atrocity after atrocity. Uh, and once again, I show up and go, well, I just don't want to do any harm today. But if God is for us, and He says explicitly in His Word that He is, who can be against us to the point of what? How far is He willing to go? Well, verse 32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us what? All things. Now that, my friends, is a, is a phrase. All things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, once again, all things to us is different if we have our buttons aligned. And that's what prayer does. That's what seeking the will of God is. That's why he tells us the will of God is that you be grateful for what you have. He tells us to beware of the love of money. And then he goes on to say, are you not content with what you have? Because what do you have? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You have Jesus. We have Jesus. We have all things. Now, I'm not talking to you as somebody who thinks that way all the time. I need that reminder every single day because I'm a consumer. That's what I, was grow- I grew up and was taught to be. There's always something else out there that I need, that I want, that I got to have. And if my life, if I don't have this toaster, my life is meaningless without it. Y'all have seen those infomercials, right? And Jesus comes, God comes along and goes, I've given you all things that pertain to life, eternal life, and godliness. What is he going to withhold? And he's basically told us nothing. I've done all of it so that you might be aware of my power. Back in Matthew 28, we look at verse Uh, 16, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. This may be the same mountain in chapter 17, I believe, in verse 1 where the transfiguration happens. Remember when Jesus tells the woman at the well in John 4, there's coming a day will you not worship me in the temple or the mountain, but in spirit and truth. And we see in this very context that both, right, Jesus takes them up to the mountain all the time. 
That's thematic in the Old Testament, right? What do they do to receive the Ten Commandments? We go to the mountain. That's where we convene with God. And so we see this mountaintop experience. There's a reason why we call it that thing, right? Mountaintop experience. And so he takes them to a place that would have been memory to them. Hey, something wild has happened. There's not many mountains in the Holy Lands that something crazy that we might look at and go amazing didn't happen. You know, we, we do that, right? We just start taking things for granted. And so they take him up to the mountain, and he, he explains to them this great commission. In verse 17, some doubted, as I mentioned, and worshipped. That could be some doubted and some worshipped, or some worshipped, or it could be some doubted and worshipped. So if you came today with questions for God, welcome to the club. I got them, right? I see suffering in the world. I'm not immune to that. Right? And I want to know why. Why? Right? I've, I've seen those kids. You know? I've even seen, you know, the Sarah McLaughlin minute. That commercial works on me for the dogs, right? Like, oh, that dog is suffering. Why? Those are not questions. Those are not new questions. Those are the oldest time. And it always goes back to some situation where somebody made a poor decision. And God in His grace doesn't show up and destroy us the moment we make a bad one. Woohoo! The only people in here that should not be rejoicing about that are people who've never made a bad one. And guess what? Regardless of how you think, you've made a bad one. If you've lived long enough and had a conscience that, that is old enough, we've all made things and done things. Man, I wish I would not have said or done that. But our confession in the midst of life's emotional roller coaster makes all the difference in the world. Verse 19. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's a nice little phrase there, all nations. Once again, things we should rejoice about. That, that includes me. Woohoo! Right? All nations. Probably not something that they were very happy about. Because somebody has to do what? Go to all those nations. And go see people that are not going to treat us very well. But that wasn't a determining factor for them, as we'll see uh, in, in the next example. Uh, verse 20, what does he tell them? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Wrapping up one of the first things that Matthew says in his gospel. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. He quotes Isaiah seven fourteen, and he says his name will be what? Emmanuel, God with us. And so we see these bookends of themes. Matthew starts and goes, hey, here's how God has made a way to be with you. And in verse chapter 3, he says, I have fulfilled that I am with you. You are not alone when you have Jesus. It's an awareness. God is everywhere. He's in every school in this county. He's in every building in this county. It's just, are we aware of the presence and then, then what that means to each individual one of us? Teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. You see, there are parts of that that each church seems to really buy into. But the churches that have the total package are the ones that they don't have enough room to keep everybody right. I've heard a lot of sermons on the baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I've not heard as many sermons about making disciples. 
I've heard it even less about go, therefore, <laughs> uh, and make disciples. Now, this is beautiful because it's as you go, wherever you find yourself, whether it's on the plains or another country or here at Walmart or Dollar General, as you go, as you work, as you do these things, note that you have my authority teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. I think that negates some of the traditions sometimes, right? All that who's commanded. Your preacher? No. Your shepherds? No. Your favorite Bible teacher? No. All that Jesus has commanded. And I hate to tell you, as much as I'd love to be up here for an hour and a half, that's still not enough time to teach you all the things Jesus commanded you. you got to do a little legwork on your own. If this is all you're getting, it's not enough. You need to be doing a little bit of that on. Don't take what I say and go, oh, that's truth because I trust Travis. Right? Because there's about the rest of you be like, that's a reason to mistrust what was said. Plenty of room there for you to do a little work on your own. In Luke chapter 24, he talks about victory over all things. Luke 24, and we look at verses 44 through 49. You can also find uh, this example in Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Notice that, and this is a complete accident. I didn't do this on purpose. Very rarely do I do things on purpose like this. But if you remember, before Deuteronomy, we studied the Psalms. And then we studied Deuteronomy, which was written by Moses. And then now we're hearing all this about Moses. And that was not planned. Right, You can ask Whitney. I don't plan that far in advance. Uh, but it works out nicely when it does. We'll give the Holy Spirit praise for that uh, if you want to. I certainly will. Uh, but uh, here I think that we can make an argument, right? I grew up in the Church of Christ, and, and we sought after first century Christianity, right? First century Christianity, first century Christianity, first century Christianity. And, and that's not a bad plan. I don't think that's a terrible strategy. Uh, I don't think I'm not throwing that out just to throw it out. I mean, that's a good Good idea, right? Uh, it's, a, it's, it's something that we can do. Uh, but in the same teaching, I never heard anybody go, you know what we should be able to do is teach Jesus from the Old Testament. And you know what they did every time they spoke in the first century? It was usually, if not always, the Old Testament. And a lot of it is from the prophets, which I never heard preached from or taught from. Or maybe I just fell asleep during that part. That's all possible, right? I'm not blaming all my teachers, you know. Once again, a little legwork on your own. But you see that, right? Their sermons come from where? The Old Testament. Here we see Joel and Hosea, right? And we don't know what to do with those sometimes. Right? They don't fall into how we want to teach it. But he tells us these things so that we might seek him out. And said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning where? Jerusalem. Verse 48, 49, You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from where? The same Spirit that dwells in you that raised Jesus from the dead. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. I fully believe that church hurt, church hurt exists. I'm a minister. 
I've been a minister for 25 years. I've been told some hair-raising things that were not nice. Uh, I believe mainly for my benefit. I, I know there are people out there who have been hurt in tremendous ways that I scratch my own head and go, I can't believe that they would ever attend church again. That's not really what I'm talking about here, although it does work. I'm talking about I go looking for a reason not to be there, and I find one. And so I'm going to go, and I'm just going to give up on the whole thing. There's a church out there for you. How do I know? Where do the disciples go when Jesus ascends? They go to the very place and hang out with the very group of people who did what? Denied Jesus Christ, mistreated him, called for his crucifixion. And I feel like if they can go back to the temple and do that with a mindset for evangelism, then we probably can put up with a lot more than we often do. But you see, the attitude's different. Why do they go there? In joy, in celebration, in an effort to bring people closer to Jesus. And there is the whole difference. Why are we going to church? First, to honor God. Well, how do we love God? By loving those around us. And not loving those around us who treat us well, who always say the right thing, who always do the right thing. But it's basically a club of people who only get it right because they know how righteous Jesus is. Romans 8, verse 37, it does tell us that we are more than conquerors. And I've heard a lot of sermons focus on that, and rightfully so, because it's true. Basically, all the sermons you've heard this last month, more than conquerors. But how? Don't leave out that last section, right? More than conquerors through him who loved us, so that we can love those around us. The triumphant king, Jesus the conqueror of all things, Jesus, leaves his power as an inheritance to his children. And the only thing that's keeping you from really being his children is you. We all have a decision to make, right? We are called to honor our parents. So I believe there's a reason why we're not commanded to love our parents. That's a nice thing, and that's a, that's a side thing, but we're commanded to love God. We are commanded to follow this Jesus who has conquered all things. And we have an inheritance that's on the table. And it's for all of us. If we will simply acknowledge our awareness who God is and what he has done through Jesus. So wherever you're at in that process, I got a tremendous blessing this week, right? Uh, Haley's expressed her want and already decision to give her life to Jesus, Right? And that's a wonderful thing that I've had very little, if anything, to do with. Uh, and we're working through that process and discussing and, and seeing what's going on and, and wanting to make the right decisions. So I ask for your prayers on that as we move forward with that. Um, but that's really, if I've muddied the waters, it really is that simple. And we confess every day in how we commit ourselves if you're not a Christian this morning, you have a decision. And a way to confess that that Jesus has given us is, is through baptism. That you confess to everyone who sees that and for everyone who sees you for the rest of time that you've committed your life to Jesus. If you've already done that and you've went away, uh, welcome to the club at some level, 
right? In, in my mind, I have been away from Jesus before. Maybe I showed up to church every day and I checked the box. I did all the things, but my mind was somewhere else. Maybe you feel that today. Or maybe you went out and you've done what you view as the worst things that could possibly be done. Let me tell you, God knew it when you did it. And he sacrificed or gave his son because he knew that was a possibility. And he wants you to come back to him. He won't wait. Uh, he'll be, it'll be immediate. I'm not an obstacle that you have to jump through to get close to Jesus. You can have as much of him as you want whenever you want it. And we're just here to assist you and encourage you as we stand and sing.